Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And uh, Phil, welcome back from a little R&R that you had for a couple weeks. It's great to be back. And what better day, what better week to be back. Exactly. So uh, we are actually recording this show uh, Wednesday afternoon, uh, right around 3.30 p.m. as the two of us uh, sit here and digest the results of the midterm elections over a little bit of coffee and conversation. And uh, Phil, since I'll let you have first crack at it, since you've been gone for a little while, uh, you know, what are your what are your what's your big takeaway here, president, winner or loser? Oh, I don't even think you can ask me that question. You know, it's funny. Of course, I can. Going back to the earliest times when we started doing this show, um, after the president was elected, and we talked about, if our listeners recall, and our our listeners who've been with us since the beginning recall, we talked about all these special elections that kept popping up. That's right. And we kept saying to ourselves, like, oh, this is. This is not a referendum, and then Republicans would say it is a referendum, and Democrats would say it's not a referendum. You know, whoever wins this, you could see. Even going back to Alabama, right, the Senate race in Alabama, um, and it was a question of, well, you see, this is a referendum. And, and I even then was hesitant to say, look, it's not a referendum. We have the midterms coming up. You're going to get a really good sample all across the country of where the sentiment is, wh- what people are thinking, um, where people are on in terms of the president. And I think without a shadow of a doubt, Right. This was a referendum on the president that a majority of the country disagrees with the way. And again, I'm, I'm not saying they're disagreeing with his policy. They just disagree. I can't tell you why or how, what a part of it that bothers them, but they disagree with it. That's not Phil Goldfeder's opinion. That's not, you know, fake news or, or the 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 media's opinion. That is the voters' opinion, right? And but, so- but right now, you look at the House, the Democrats, you know, in a normal midterm election, you're expecting... In 2010, Obama lost like 60 seats, right? So if you look at just by sheer numbers, the House, the Republicans in the House lost 28 or 29 seats as of now. Obviously, not every race is counted. And clearly, Democrats are not taking back the Senate. Uh, that's it. Now, I agree that the Senate map favored the Republicans tremendously. And if you look at it, the, probably the Republicans should have won a lot of seats, but they did I, I want win. I say that again. That's an important point, right? The uh, map, right. who was up for election in red, the Senate, Red state Democrats. Red state Democrats yeah, were ten up of them. for election. Ten so, of them. But some of them lost. Agreed. Okay, so okay. now we look, look at the casualties, right? You had Heidi Heitkamp. She lost. Okay? You have Joe Donnelly in Indiana. He lost. Claire McCaskill in yeah, Missouri. Missouri. She lost. Looks like John Tester is going to win in Montana. Dean Dean Heller uh, lost on the Republican side. We don't know what's going on in Arizona. Joe Manchin holds on. Right. Okay, that's a state that Trump won by 40-something points. Think about that. But remember, Joe Manchin actually was the guy who voted for Brett Kavanaugh, so I'm sure that that... uh, possibly help there but i, I want to say people you know and people have used that because i've said well this is I, i've said it a number of times right i'm in a number i have had a number of conversations this morning and people said well in 2010 you know in the first midterm after obama folks obama is not the president anymore and we could stop trying to like compare it's not about comparison it's a question of whether this country believes that this president is moving you know, sort of moving us in the right direction. And clearly the American public has decided that we're not. We need to change, that we need to do something different. Now, historically, that is generally always... That happens in the... Right, that's it a does. midterm phenomenon. It always happens in the midterms. So I get that. However, there's no way to spin this. And it's... it's I, I, You know, I, I continue to be fascinated by 
sort of the president's sentiment that like, no, everything's great. It was a big victory for the Republicans. But anybody who watched the president's press conference, um, you know, this morning, Wednesday morning, can see he was unhinged. Right. He was clearly unhinged. He, he was, was savoring his victories in some very key states like Florida. Right. It would have been disa- fine. It would have been disastrous for the Republicans to have lost Florida, the governorship. It looks like they're going to keep that. The Senate race is going to a recount. But that, of course, uh, looks uh, the Republican is ahead. Uh, uh, Governor Rick, Rick Scott is ahead of Bill Nelson by uh, less than a point. But that's going to go to a recount. Uh, usually that doesn't change anything. It's unclear as what's going to happen in Georgia with the governorship there. But he is feeling very excited about the fact that he went to certain districts and those people won. Now, you actually have to say, does he have to go to red states for very, you know, and red districts in order to get them so to win? Someone said something interesting, and I, I don't know where I saw this last night. And obviously I was literally probably like you, you know, up until 3.34 in the morning, sort of talking politics and, and running through. It's a sickness things. that we both have. It really, really is. But someone said, if you take a look at, and this goes back to the argument uh, post-2016 in terms of the popular vote versus the Electoral College. If you take a look at the states that the president won, there's the states with the least, with the smallest population. So if you actually, and an interesting thought, right? If you look at the popular vote in the Senate elections, the Democrats well outdid the Republicans, which again, I thought was fascinating. Now, again, this is the process. This is the, this right. is the way the, the, our democracy works. And so I'm not questioning it. But just something interesting to take away from an election like last night. Yeah, but of course, in in many cases, you have lopsided districts, and you know, in all, it's that's just the way it is. I mean, you have in many big cities, of course, are Democrat and the blue. Many rural areas are going to be uh, are, are generally going to be redder. That's that's what's. But the one thing, I mean, I, I think the one thing Republicans have to be very concerned about. There's three. Well, I'll give you two things that the Republicans should be very concerned about looking to 2020. Number one is not being comp- losing the governorship in Wisconsin, right? Remember, the president won the Electoral College, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Okay, out of those four, of those four Rust Belt states, they only the only one where the governor's race was, was won by the Republican was Mike DeWine in Ohio. Okay, Scott Walker lost his bid for a third term. Uh, uh, the Democrat, uh, the, it, Republicans lost the governorship in Michigan as well as uh, lost the Senate race. Debbie Stabenow stayed in office. And Pennsylvania, which at one time was thought to be competitive, they lost both the governor's race and the Senate race, which didn't end up being competitive at all. So if you look at those states and the trend there, you have to be worried about whether you can, you know, where, where the trend is. Remember, the president won those states by very small margins. So to actually, you know, it's it's kind of funny for a Republican to be cheering about the fact that they won Georgia, um, which, of course, it makes sense, but... It's Georgia. It's Georgia, exactly. It's Georgia. I, and look, and I, you know, it's funny... It, you talk about uh, Ted Cruz and the Beto O'Rourke race, right? Right. Texas was but Republicans won, but they no, won. No, they won, but they like, won. think about that. Texas was competitive, right? right? So, and they, it, he won, right? Ted Cruz won, but by what? Right? Literally a half a percentage point or, or a one percentage point. It's a, a fascinating phenomenon. And, and so I, look, here's my prediction. I've said this to a lot of people who think I'm, I'm crazy. And I know a lot of our listeners think that I'm crazy, but I, I do not believe, right? And you can... Mark it down that I said it today. I do not believe President Trump runs for re-election. I don't well, think I'm going to mark that down because he actually said today that he asked Mike Pence if he would be his running mate in 2020. You mark. I, I hate okay. to say this. You'll, you'll excuse me if I don't believe everything the president says, 
But I would say is that I don't think he runs. I think that I think the spin, right? And I can tell you, I can predict it today. The spin is, you know, I've accomplished more in my in four years what it takes most to be eight. I don't think the president likes to be president. I think watching today's press conference where you know reporters were getting under his skin, where he was literally he was he was visibly agitated by the questions, by the fact that like I have to stand here and defend myself, right? He clearly was agitated, trying to spin, and he was having a hard time doing it, and it was getting him upset. And I think he looks at the race yesterday, and he says, wait a second, the states that I need are going to be harder, are getting harder and harder to win. And I don't see anything, you know, we talked about all the big accomplishments from from sort of the last two years, from the first two years. I mean, what did we accomplish? Tax cuts, and we're still yet to see it actually what the impact is going to be on? Well, no, the economy is in very good shape. I mean, I, I can certainly uh, point to very positive uh, things that have happened under this administration. I think that the challenge here... I, look, I, I, I think Republicans can find a silver lining here. They were expected to... Or, or there was an expectation that they might lose the Senate. They didn't. It's crucial. Not only that, they picked up seats, or they may, they might pick up seats. It looks like they will pick up yeah, some agreed. seats. It looks like okay. Three so days. so if you th- if you think about it, that's you know that's positive, and the damage on the House side is was contained. Um, now, if you want to, if you want to look at it that way, and the truth is, I think the president relishes a fight. I think he looks at it and says, "I'm willing to fight." I'm, I'm. He's always been willing to joust, and you know, I'm, I certainly don't see him getting tired, getting so, tired of it. But you know, they might not understand the impact of having one house controlled by the opposition party. Now, the question is, for from, I think it's more of a question for the Democrats now is. Who now in this new environment? Who's coming forward? Who's going to be running in twenty twenty? Now it's going to be this mad race in twenty twenty run against Trump because every Democrat out there thinks he's incredibly vulnerable. I don't see actually him being. He is. He does have an innate political sense that he has the ability to read the crowd and read the ability, the media and manipulate. And he, he's good at it. There's no way he dominates the news cycle. Still, we're like we're like three. We're like almost four years into the Donald Trump phenomenon, and the guy do- still dominates the news cycle every single day. And it's funny. He talked about in his press conference about the fact that he went as, a, like, as if he was the one on the ballot in Georgia. Like, I went, and I was, op- I was opposing President Obama on the other side, and it was me versus him in a proxy war. It didn't even matter who was running. Just me and him, and I won. And is, he's excited about that. You know, Michael, he, we, we've talked about this a lot. I've written about it a lot. I mean, this is part of the problem, right? Like it's, and I, I know people are sick of hearing, well, you're divisive. No, you're divisive. You cause anti-Semitism. No, you cause anti-Semitism. Like enough is enough, right? You know, I, I was involved in, in Farakway. I know you're involved in, in the five towns, but I was involved in Queens and sort of looking at the candidates and, and making certain endorsements. And, and people were upset. You know, we picked some Democrats. We picked some Republicans, Right. People were upset. Well, how come we're not just voting Republican all the way down the line, right? Why would we dare support a Democrat? Because sometimes a Democrat has a better candidate, and sometimes it's better to have that person. Or sometimes the Republican has no chance. Correct. And so, so right. So you have to make those determinations. Look, I was very proud uh, to support Kathleen Rice. I think you know, as a Democrat, she stood up to the party. She stood up to the then President Obama. She stood up to her to her leadership, and I was proud to endorse her. And people were upset. Like, how can you endorse a Democrat? Because she was a better option to represent Long Island in Congress. That's the fact. 
someone want to disagree that she's not making a real argument. Don't tell me that like, oh, she's a, a Democrat. I can't support her. And this is sort of what. Right. This is we don't have that kind of democracy here. You vote for a person. That's the way it should be. That's not the way it is today. And, you know, Democrats are this. Democrats are that. Like, we need to stop. Look, it's I. It's not that way on both sides, though. You have plenty of Republic you have plenty of Democrats out there, okay, and they look at something and they're and they're not willing to consider a candidate who's a Republican because of the environment, despite the qualifications. So and despite despite somebody's record, it doesn't matter. You're a Republican. I mean, when it comes down to it, Mark Molinaro, okay, the, the who ran for governor who ran for governor of New York is a moderate, not even a not even a Trump guy. He didn't even vote for Trump. Okay, he's a moderate, very accomplished guy, excellent campaigner, and he was just hard. And people were just like, "Well, we're never going to vote for him because he's Republican." The same way, there are people on the other side who say, "I'm never going to vote for him because they're, they're a Democrat." I agree with you. I mean, it, it's a problem if we have the, if if it's only about party, then we have as a democracy we, we've lost something. So here's what I would say: I had the privilege of spending a lot of time in upstate New York and working on a congressional race up there. Few people say that I had the privilege of spending time in upstate New York, except I, during the, I had except a great during the time. summer. Utica is beautiful. Binghamton, Cortland, uh, Rome, gorgeous, gorgeous uh, foliage this time of year. It's it's just it was fantastic. But here's what was so fascinating. You had a Democratic okay, candidate. Okay, this was the, 20 the 22nd district congressional Anthony, district in upstate Anthony New York. Anthony yes. who is a moderate Democrat. Who is versus taking Claudia Tenney. Claudia Tenney, who is a very pro-Trump, strong Trump defender. And, and, and Anthony and I had the privilege of seeing some of the debates and, and being involved in, in some in hearing some of the talking points. And Anthony continued, or Congressman-elect Brindisi, kept talking about how... Well, that race, I mean, I know it's been called, but it hasn't been conceded, just to be fair. Well, so I, as of now, I now understand. All right. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll, let, I'll let you have that one. I'll, I'll give him the victory. But the point, I just, I, the point I was trying to make is, very simply, is that, you know, he praised President Trump. A Democrat praised, praised President Trump for stances on various issues where he thought President Trump was correct, right? He praised Republican ideas and policies where he thought they were correct. He has a 100% rating from the NRA. A Democrat, ladies and gentlemen, a Democrat has a 100% rating from the NRA. There's such a thing as some people just have varying opinions on different issues. And so why do we work so hard to fit everybody into an exact box? And either we love the box or we hate the box. It doesn't but have to be that way. Both parties have gone to the extreme. And so, okay, agreed. I mean, we have some ridiculous... I mean, look, I think it hurt Democrats that you have certain people out there talking about abolishing ICE, which is ridiculous. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, what, what does that mean? Agreed. We're gonna, if you abolished ICE, you would just have something else that would take on its duties. You can't not have immigration enforcement. You can't just open the borders. I well, agree. I mean, as, that's just that's just ridiculous. I mean, you know, health care for all. It's a noble idea. It's a wonderful idea. Who's paying the bill? The Democrats now are experiencing, I think, what the Republicans experienced a few years ago with the Tea Party, right? You had this this extreme right-wing, fringe-wing of the party who was pulling. I mean, you take a look at what, what John Boehner had to deal with, right? When he, like, he literally had to, like, sort of keep his party together. It was, it was getting harder and harder and harder. Um, and so what the Democrats are having a very, very similar issue now, right? Where you have these left-wing, like uh, Ocasio-Cortez, who, you know, sort of talks about these lefty leftist ideological policies that I don't even think she truly understands. I mean, you watch some of the interviews and it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing because these are talking points that clearly someone is feeding her or she's reading it somewhere. I, I, I don't take it away from her. She's probably very, very smart, but she clearly doesn't have a, a full a full grasp on some of these policies. And she's sort of, 
she keeps talking about it like somehow it is gospel, but she has no idea how to actually govern. And so she's talking about it because it, it just sounds good, right? It, 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 we're going to well, send a good message. That's not the way governing should work. She's a democratic socialist. So and, she's and spouting the... Uh, it's, I think, you know, one thing that's interesting is if you look at a lot of... You have a whole new class coming in, and you, you know about this, of different people get elected. You know, they come in as a class. They come in as a group. And you think about there'd be a group now coming in who's probably more moderate because a lot of them are cognizant of the fact that they won in red districts, like uh, your your uh, colleague, your former colleague, Anthony Brindisi. So he comes from a district where he knows that in order to win re-election, he's got to be a little more moderate. He can't be taking everybody's gun away, that kind of thing. He votes for that. Kind of, for that, he's it's political suicide in his part. Okay, you're going to have an Anthony Del, Antonio Delgado. In uh, a little bit south of him, the 19th district, he won a, a swing district. I mean, and that's all over. You know, Democrats picked up three seats in Virginia. They picked up two historically or three, maybe four historically uh, Republican seats, three historically Republican seats in New Jersey. Um, you know, at one time last night, it looked like there was only going to be one Republican congressman from the whole state of New Jersey out of nine. So, uh, which would be an incredible, incredible low point. I think that now there's going to be two, but a lot of these races have not yet been called. But what I'm saying is they come in and they're, they almost have to be moderate, right, Phil? I mean, they have to think about it and you have to say, okay, we got to do what's in the interest of all our members in order to uh, ensure their reelection. Or if the leadership is not so smart about it and politically astute, they're going to do a... Uh, you know they're going to go for the fringe and they're going to go hard right like the republicans have had a big problem over the last two years with the freedom caucus and others of being very unyielding and unwilling to compromise and they've been unable to pass legislation because it's the because the moderates that rebel the problem is now on the republican side is most of the moderates got wiped out yeah, look, that's a problem, right? Because if you want to actually see sound policy, Democrats working with Republicans, Republicans working with Democrats, you, you need to sort of, enough with the rhetoric, let's actually figure out if there is compromise that we can reach. Um, let's see if there's, there's a compromise that we can reach. And, and sadly, right now, we're just not seeing that. And I'm not blaming the president. So before all of... No, no, know, all this existed way before the president yeah, came Yeah, 100%. And so before you send me you know, angry emails or, or, yeah. or comment, like I'm not blaming the president. I'm not saying he's causing this, right? This is, sadly, this is sort of the, now, the Obama direction caused our it. country... It wasn't Trump. <laughs> <laughs> he caused it like he caused the good economy today. So yes, exactly right. You know, the, the point here is, the point here is, is that like there is... I think the takeaway from the midterms is there's no question that, that the Democrats won. I think what's interesting, by the way, if you take a look at it, most of those Democrats won in moderate districts. And so you're actually getting mostly more moderate candidates. So I'm hopeful. But can they form a caucus together? Correct. Can so, they get together and actually get something done? So I'll put this to you, Phil. Does Nancy Pelosi get reelected as, or get elected as speaker? I hope not. Uh, I really hope not. I well, mean, there are a lot of members who say that. I mean, I, a, lot of, a lot of them out there said that they would not vote for her for speaker. Uh, the problem is in the Democratic caucus i think the caucus rules is if she wins a majority of the caucus they actually must vote for her according to the caucus rules so interestingly enough right two years ago there was only three democrats who did not vote for nancy pelosi and they voted for a fellow by the name of tim tim ryan uh, from ohio from ohio and one of those was our very own kathleen rice who stood up and said you know what i don't think nancy pelosi is the future of the democratic party in the house and voted against her 
I think the problem for a lot of candidates, and if you've been following any of the races across the country, a lot of candidates through the campaign said, I will not support Nancy Pelosi as part of like the questions they were being asked, whether it was by their opponents or during debates. A lot of candidates sort of outright said that like, I don't, I will not vote for Nancy Pelosi. I'd be curious to see what happens, right? Do they come in now and, and go back on that? Is that their first, you know, broken campaign promise? Or do enough of these moderates that came in actually turn around and don't support Nancy Pelosi and, 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 and sort of vote for somebody else? Interestingly enough, look, Nancy Pelosi is a great fundraiser. And yes. she spent a lot of time raising money and giving it to all these candidates all across the country. And so... You know, these elected officials and these new members of Congress, con congressional elects, are going to have difficult decisions to make about what they see the future. But I think, look, I think Nancy Pelosi should have never, once they lost the majority, she should have walked away then. She stayed on as minority leader. I don't think that this is such a resounding victory. I think what you said is exactly right. In 2010, you saw a resounding victory for the sort of for the for the Republican Party. And so you can make an argument like leadership was doing something right here. I think, you know, some of this is natural. Some of this, I think a lot of it is pushed back on, on President Trump. And I think very little of it had, you know, I think a lot of the problems were caused by Nancy Pelosi. Mm -hmm. I don't think she's the solution. So I'll give you a stat that I saw in the New York Times. And even if you want to call that fake news, it actually, it's it's a stat. So it's not much you can do uh, about it. But 313 out of 435 districts this time, because remember, it's a great snapshot of the country because everybody votes at the same time. Uh, it's not the special election. Everybody votes at the same time. 313 out of 435 were bluer, meaning that they had more Democrat percentage than they did last time. So even if they didn't, even if Democrats didn't pick up quite the historic number of seats, there are a lot of districts that are now that Democrats, I guess, to a certain degree, became more competitive in. So from that perspective, a lot more. There's a lot more, definitely a move towards either you want to call it the center or move or move towards the left in a lot of the country. I, look, if you're a Republican today, I, I'd be curious to see what your hope is for the next two years, right? I, I, I think that... Was that a question specifically at me or there was, well, uh, you there are was the, somebody the else? resident Republican in the room. Um, you know, what's... what's if, your, I, if I'm a Republican today... What changes from yesterday's election to what you expect to see in two years? Well, that's actually a great segue, Phil, because uh, we haven't yet talked about New York where... Um, where we definitely should talk about it. We are a little bit New York-centric. We're also a little bit Jewish-centric. But uh, Republicans in New York basically got wiped out. I mean, not entirely wiped out. Just about. But they, right. I mean, they lost, I mean, not, it doesn't seem that any of the statewide candidates are even going to get to 40%. Uh, that's number one. Lost key House members, Dan Donovan, John Faso, uh, Claudia Tenney. Tenney. Looks like Chris Collins almost lost. Um, Pete King almost lost. Lee Zeldin almost lost. So you had almost, and then the state Senate, uh, it looks like there is going to be a huge shift. Uh, clearly, Repu Democrats are going to take control of the state Senate. And that's the only bastion, or have been long the only bastion of Republican uh, power in government in New York State. So you're looking at a significant time in the wilderness here for the Republicans, uh, potentially to try and rebuild. And, you know, there's a, New York's not the only place. It actually looked for a while, potentially, that... Republicans going to do well in Connecticut. They didn't. They didn't end up winning the governorship. They didn't end up winning either house. And New Jersey, as I mentioned, they don't have their local races this year. But in the in, for Congress, New Jersey also lost. So if you look at these areas, um, and you know they were hoping, hopeful that Bob Hugan, who spent I think thirty five million dollars of his own money, would win 
for Senate in New Jersey, uh, he came up short against Bob Menendez. So if you're a Republican now, you're thinking, wow. And Michael, we saw it a year ago in county elections. I mean, you, we saw it literally a year ago. We saw county elections where we saw kind of the same trend where yes. every offices that county, have been county executive in Westchester and Nassau offices that have been held by Republican elected officials for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, all of a sudden now we're going Democrat. And so, look, if you're again, go sort of begs the question, how do we change things around? I don't think and this is, again, no big hot take here, but I don't think. The Donald Trump rhetoric or way of doing business is working for well, the Republican Party. Well, it doesn't play well. The, it doesn't. It, it doesn't no, play no, well it, on the local level. No, there are places that it plays well. It played well in Missouri. I think it played well. It, it played well in certain places. It doesn't play well in suburban New York. That's for sure. Um, this, you know, these are much more diverse districts than you would have that you have elsewhere in the country. And when you when Republicans are struggling here. In New York to try and make sense of this, they have to look around and thinking, oh, wow, these are huge swaths of the electorate that are going to be unwilling entirely to vote for us. They will not vote for anybody with an R because they think the Republicans, I'm, dare I say it, are a bunch of you know white nationalists, racists who are anti-immigration and want to throw us out of the country if I were to, you know. Now, of course, uh, those who are not citizens aren't voting, but there are people who are related to them or are voting. And we saw that over and over that Republicans did. Republican needs, in order to win statewide in New York City, in New York State, needs to win like 30% in New York City. It looks like the Republicans will come in at, you know, 13, 15, 17% best. So it's a, it's a real, it's, it's poor showing in the city where Republicans need to do a little bit, you know, and uh, it's a poor showing in the suburbs. And there's no question that the president weighed down. Some very good candidates. Agreed. Look, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, and I would say is is that it's going to be interesting now. Interestingly enough, now that the Democrats have control. So let's talk them. Now, what time, do they do? Right. So now the Democrats have control of the House. What do they do? Democrats have control in New York, here in New York, of the state Full assembly, control. All three state houses. Senate and the governorship. What do they do? Do they have a, a clear, concise a message that is going to be on that's going to work on behalf of the people they represent or on a national level they just going to sort of be the antagonist for president trump i mean it's i think it'll be very telling pretty quickly sort of what the goal is right if if you start hearing in the next couple of weeks sort of impeach 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 you know i, I don't think that i'm already a, hearing it man i look i don't think that sends a good message to americans saying like hey we just gave you control all you're going to do is sort of be antagonistic why don't we actually try and accomplish something i think there's no question now the president, I think, is going to have to figure out what to do, right? The president's going to have to figure out how do you actually deal with this where I don't just have a rubber stamp. I actually have to find a way to deal with it. So maybe that will be finally force him to tone down his rhetoric. Maybe. I doubt it. Here in the state, I think you're going to see the same thing. We saw this in 2008 the, with the blue wave in 2008 and the state Senate. The Democrats took control of the state Senate. Um, back in 2008, and only held it for two years. Right. Because they were not ready for prime time. I mean, you can probably talk about it a bit more than I can, but it was just a colossal failure. I mean, the Democrats took over, and there was scandals, and there was infighting, and there was problems, and they couldn't get bills passed, and they couldn't agree on an agenda, they couldn't agree. And so I'm hopeful that this is a bit different, that this state Senate is, number one, can find ways to work together towards uh, a real agenda for New York State. But Look, we haven't seen it in the past. And so right, but their number of, I mean, what they don't have, what they didn't have then is a significant number of far left progressives, um, particularly the ones who took out IDC members in the primary. We talked about this. Uh, 
you have a number of members who are probably even to the left of the assembly conference uh, now in the state senate, and now you might have some of these more moderate members in the suburbs. And there's going to be a lot of tension within the Democratic Party. Um, I'm sure you saw that in the assembly itself because you have different types of members, those with more, uh, you know, more urban districts, uh, more progressive districts, as well as those who are either upstaters or suburban members who also have to balance the needs of, you know, homeowners versus renters and the like. I mean, those are those are significant. And, you know, some people are more concerned about social issues and some people are more concerned about economic issues. Um, you know, New York has, you know, it has been a pretty far left state and it's already the highest tax state in the whole country. So it's kind of, you know, people coming into office looking for more taxes now what and i mean wait till you know you get to your accountant and you see that you can no longer deduct your state and local taxes right and so you're going to take a, a pretty big hit um come april time and, and and our governor meaning the governor andrew cuomo who's now may have the third term curse uh which is you know every politician you know goes through the third term or every governor it goes through that third term uh problem uh, now has to deal with a legislature that's probably far to the left of him is going to be pressuring him a lot on the fiscal side. Yeah, no, I, look, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think I, I think a lot, I mean, look, we are just starting to, to digest the news of, of the election uh, on Tuesday. And I think it is going to be very telling the next two, three, four weeks as in the in the federal government, members of the House start to lay out their plans for, for the coming session. In the state, you start hearing more. Just very interesting. I think it's something we need to talk about. A lot of listen, our listeners are concerned. Senator Simcha Felder. What right? does he do? He got resoundingly reelected yesterday. The problem is, is that he was once the deciding vote. He is now completely irrelevant. Uh, the Democrats really have to make a decision whether they even want him back in their fold. Or I think they they'd be stupid not to take him. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. If, if, if I'm the Democrats, I... You know, and you have 39 seats out of 63 without Senator Felder. I would say not. Now, again, you know, look, I said it's a bad message to the Jewish community. Uh, agreed. I absolutely agree. But they also, you know, they all, he also didn't do a very good job of, of working with them and trying to bridge divides versus just uh, going with the Republicans for to go with that agenda. Again, I agree with it. I'm, I'm not saying I don't. But, you know, if, after he walked away from them, asking them to come back and welcome him back into the fold is, is a big ask. As the president likes to say, we will see what happens. Okay, that's it here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Single Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.